I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves, and right now we're traveling to Tuscany, specifically Cortona. And, you know, I just got back from a lot of travels, and one of the joys for me is to connect with great local guides. And I've been all over Europe, and, you know, I spend every other day with a local guide, and half of the guides I team up with are mm, okay, but half of the guides I team up with really are worth remembering, keeping track of, recommending in my guidebooks, and um, connecting with our radio show. And I've got the opportunity right now to talk with a wonderful guide who gave me a beautiful day in Cortona. We've got Giovanni Adriani on the line. Giovanni, thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks a lot. Um, Too many compliments, I think. But anyhow, I remember that day, too. It was a beautiful day, even if we were running uphill and downhill. We were doing a lot of running because you were doing a lot of teaching. Well, because it's crowded and intense. You know, my place is little, little inside the walls, but has so many meanings, so many artworks, so many memories, and an interesting real life, so it's crowded. It's got to be into our brain around Italian, you know? It's fast. That's right. And our it's challenge, cloudy. together, our challenge is to uh, distill the so much information so the uh, American travelers can better understand your city or wherever they're going. I think they can understand. They can enjoy a little, you know? In Cortona, we had foreigners from the 1700s living in the town, in the countryside, so they can see things, they can enjoy a little, and they can participate. It's not just crossing the square. I think it's nice. It's interesting for us and for the others. It's a great formula. That's a very interesting point you just made. You said since the 17 or 1800s, foreigners have been enjoying Cortona. And, the, of course, for Americans right now, the big trendy thing is uh, Francis May's Under the Tuscan Sun, like Peter Mayles, A Year in Tuscany, and A Year in Provence. All of these Americans are reading these popular novels. They're being inspired to go to these towns. And in so many cases, I find that these towns that are featured in these popular novels are just trampled with tourists. I was worried when I went to Cortona thinking... Boy, it's going to be miserable with all the tourist crowds there. But in spite of the tourist crowds, the town was wonderfully enjoyable. And you explained to me that Cortona, it's nothing new to have a romantic tourist coming to Cortona to enjoy the wonders of that town. And Cortona um, lives on its traditional yeah. ways. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in, in our life. And we were laughing about the Francis Mays buying the house in the back of the hill and then became another fun thing. But, you know, we have... Uh, students from U.S. from 35 years in Cortona in the summertime. So it's just another funny thing. And they feel this, too. I mean, Francis Mayeth and the husband. And when they are in the square, people are laughing. I mean, not for being mean, but just because it's, the city is growing. It's little, 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 but uh, kind of having fun with everybody. I don't know. I hope it's a challenge. I hope it will be the same in the future. Or maybe even better, you know. We are waiting for new results. Yeah. Let's see. We are doing a lot. We are working. We are inventing things. And still, it's interesting. It's there. You know, it's old. My family's old, too, there. I mean, I'm there from the 1300s. I don't know. Something magical. Since the 1300s, your family? As much as I have the books, I checked, and I found my house of the family, and they never moved from the same house, you know, uh-huh. until my grandfather lost everything gambling, by the way. He was playing cards, and was a tragedy. But, I mean, the family's there, you know, from the Middle Ages. Yes. And I felt like, you told me when we were walking the streets of Cortona, there's a lot of characters. You know, your grandfather lost everything gambling. But you could point out different characters who had families famous for this or that over the last generations, and that's what makes, that's what carbonates the whole experience when you come to a little hill town like Cortona, is the people and the characters that are going about their ways, just making it through another century. Yeah, it's true. You're right. And, you know, the last one about a family with a past is they're running a restaurant and having fun. It's not death, you know. I think this mix of Middle Ages and Renaissance inside the ring of the Etruscan walls made a strong sense of the community. And everybody's coming inside from far away. 
It's not a ghost town or no, romantic. It's per- you can't enjoy the view. You have to live in the square, you know? It's fun. And, you know, Giovanni, I went to many towns in Tuscany because it's so trendy with Americans now. And some of the towns, know, are, be- okay. some of the towns are beautiful, but they're like shells. Uh, San Gimignano is beautiful, but completely sold out to tourism. But Cortona and Volterra, those are my two favorite towns because they still were vibrant and, and local cultures in spite of the tourism. And I think that's what attracted Frances Mays. And I think she's just one in a long line of uh, romantic travelers that appreciated uh, the beauties of your hill town. Yeah, but I mean, we have romantic views too. We have the woods, you know, we can have in the fall the mushrooms. And, but then if you live here for a while, you know how a man is interesting when he can expand the brain into the architecture, relate to people. You know, when you cross the street in Dallas, it's far from a point to the other point. Here, there is always a meaning. You turn the corner, there is another meaning. You turn the corner, there is another person with another meaning. And some of these people are really old and some they are really new. And the new ones are making fun, you know. It's it's what it is. I mean, and my wife, she's from Dallas, and now she's a Cortonese, really, because she knows the places. She's living here and increasing the pleasure of the city. Um, well, that's interesting. I don't know. What I... do you want more about uh, a human being living in a place like this? I mean, it's more interesting. So your wife traded Dallas for Cortona. <laughs> yes, from a huge emptiness to a little strange, funny little thing on top of the hill, crowding old. But it's getting interesting. And when she has guests, relatives... She's not a tour guide. She's like the one living here, and it's another feeling. Something's growing with Cortona. She's not just a guest. Like Francis Mays now is a part of the town, and we have a new yeah. subject to talk about. So Frances Mays is a respected part of the community, and, and uh, she's brought a lot of business to the town, but she's just another person in the town, and she lives outside the walls. And you told me a funny story about her house under the Tuscan sun. <laughs> okay, well, that's real. I mean... She lives in a little place in the back of the hill, and the name of the place is Brahma Sole. And once they read the book, I think they remember the name, but Brahma Sole means craving for sunlight. I remember being little, nobody wanted that house. You know, she has the shade at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the winter. And so we said, oh, you know, we sold the house. Oh, to who? To a foreigner. Which one? The one wrong in the back of the hill. So she bought kind of a joke in a cheap house. But then we worked on the house, the house is beautiful now, and we are going there, and we are laughing about that. So from a little cheap thing, became part of the town, and funny again, you know? And I think she enjoys this, even the fact that she started in this funny corner, you know? So begging for sun, craving for sun, that's the local nickname of the Under the Tuscan Shade. Under the Tuscan Shade, yeah, actually. Under the Tuscan Shade, that's great. Hey, Giovanni, we were talking on the main square, Uh, there was three Uh flags, the three flags flying from the city hall. There was the, uh, what, the, uh, one those, what flags were they again? <laughs> okay, you want to hear what the ambassador said? Yeah. Okay, one, they had a tour with the U.S. ambassador, and we saw the three flags. Okay, one is European community, and the other one is Italy. And the third one, it's a flag that Italy invented at the beginning of the war in Iraq for peace. And by the way, it's peace written in Italian, P-A-C-E, and it's all over Europe now, but it's a rainbow flag. So the ambassador was in Cortona in the beginning of the war, with the mayor, the group, me, everybody. And so he said, but Giovanni, why is the gay flag on the town hall? And we didn't want to talk about the war, so we said, it's the mayor. And the mayor was there, preferring to be homosexual than say, oh, you know, it's against the war. So really, every time we look at the flag, we think about that. It is interesting. When, when an American goes to Italy, all over Europe, actually, you find the peace flags flying everywhere, the rainbow flag. And uh, pace, it says in Italy, of course, because that's the... Uh, it's an Italian idea. You know why? Because we have a march for peace from Ears to Assisi, from Perugia to Assisi, and it's about San Francis, 
And this flag was invented in this peace contest and in the occasion of the war in Iraq. Now, should an American individual traveling through Italy feel bad when they look at that peace flag? Is it an attack against Americans? No. Europeans, they love to blah, 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 anyhow, because the U.S. is on top of the world. They don't like to talk about disparate countries all over, far away. But uh, it's, I mean, when you see people in person, when people are nice, are nice. When are not, are not. Actually, the country is a little comfortable. So a nice person has to be comfortable. You know, we are in our town. If you like, good. If you don't, well, you can go. But like anybody else, you know, if you're nice, you're welcome. But you're welcome in our house, in our restaurant. I mean, it's an honest feeling. So honest people are welcome. I think U.S. people, they are easily able to make a good contact with people. And so it's always fine. So in other words, uh, Italians won't judge individual Americans by their feeling about American foreign policy. They'll judge yeah. people as individuals. I think it's right, you know. Oh, of course, this? we have arguing about everything, but you know, with everybody. And by the way, Italians, I don't they love judge. to argue. And by the way, we are not mean when we argue. It's just another way to feel alive, you know. We want to discuss. If not, it's boring. I know? love that. If I respect You're not... you too much, and you respect me too much, what can we do? Sleep? I mean, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> Let's compete. You've, you've, you've summed up so much about the Italian character there. It's not mean when we argue. We're alive. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Competition made Italy famous, and if we are not that great now every day, it's because we don't make funny competitions anymore, you know? This mixture, I think it makes Cortona really a nice, interesting little town, and not like anybody else. And, and excuse me, my English is getting worse. Oh, your English is uh, great. Um, I'm talking with okay, Giovanni you. Adriani, a friend of mine who's a great local tour guide in Cortona in Tuscany. Giovanni, you took me into a church, and I was just amazed at this. You said, the priest is really cool. It's okay to do this. And we walked up to an altar, and we lifted yeah. up the, the tablecloth on the altar. You showed me an inlaid piece of marble cut into the table, the marble table on that altar, under the cloth, and it was kind of rustic, and you said, under that little piece of marble is a relic. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, you can't have an altar in the Catholic Church, in a church in Italy, if you don't have a relic of a saint, a piece of a bone or ashes or a piece of a dress, too. But the point was for showing you how honestly and in a real way we are connected to our saints, to the dead. Or that's why we cut the saints in pieces, you know. We just need the pieces for many altars. But it's really there, you know. It's like under St. Peter in the Vatican, you have the little grave with the bones of St. Peter. Giovanni, if I go to any church anywhere in Italy, and I go to a chapel on the side of the church, an obscure little chapel, there's got to be a piece of relic on that chapel to yes, be consecrated. Yes, it has to be. But you have to be smart enough to understand the feeling. If you go in a church that you have to pay for getting into, when they check on you, when they check your dress, then it's even hard to move the tablecloth for the, from the altar, you know. But okay. in Cortona, you saw the church. And the priest is nice in the sense you can turn on the light, you can walk inside, you can talk, and you can move the cotton and see if under you have the space for the relics or not. That's a peaceful and comfortable sensation and really honest, really rare. Now, we were talking, Giovanni, about how your cathedral in Cortona is not as rich and, and luxurious as a cathedral should be because the local people have a different uh, loyalty to a different saint. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a really nice lady, Margherita, that is the name of a flower. I think in English is a daisy. And she lived in the 1200s. And from that time, she made such a nice feeling with the city, helping everybody, that from that time, we adore the body. She's on top of the hill with the sanctuary. And that's our heart. We have a cathedral. But, you know, nobody cares. 
Huh. And we have the same patron as any other city in Italy, Who's St. Mark the Evangelist, and nobody cares for St. Mark too, you know? So St. Mark... Santa Margherita, it's on top. Saint, Saint, Santa Margherita just sort of aced out, just defeated uh, St. Mark in the hearts of the local people, and the local Cortona people basically ignore their cathedral, and all of their religious love goes to the top of the hill to Margherita's uh, Basilica? Yes, and... Even now, when we have the little festival, you can see the entire valley going uphill. And if you are a believer, if you're just a Cortonese, if you love art, you feel attracted on top of the hill because it's like a temple, because she was just good, and because everybody's loving her. It's a alive feeling. Even in this part, Cortona is bringing something alive. It's not just a memory. Any city has the Duomo or the cathedral, but we have our saint from our city our feeling from the 1200s still alive. We sing songs from the 1200s that are our songs from the time of St. Francis. It's a pleasure. You have no idea. Wow. To sing your past, 800 years old, it's a pleasure. Your town has your saint and this, the heart of the people. 800 years later, they still relate to Santa Margarita. Yes. One great thing that impressed me with Giovanni is the importance of having a local art historian to take you into the museums and help you appreciate the art. Now, one of the, the, the most famous local boy there is Luca Signorelli. Signorelli is, uh, was before Michelangelo a little bit, and uh, Giovanni was explaining to me how Michelangelo was inspired by Signorelli. Can you explain that a little bit to us uh, again, Giovanni? Especially the frescoes he painted in the cathedral in Orvieto near here, or coming back in Cortona at the end of his life, they are really powerful. The language, it's an intense, abstract language. And you can see like uh, floors that are without weeds, empty, like into the brain. And these people with these colors and these muscles, they have a, a strong impact. And Michelangelo was translating that into those beautiful, big bodies, swollen muscles. It's all tension. I think it's what in the 1900s made Picasso and the abstractions. But they were so alone and powerful. And they were born near to each other, and they were kind of 20 years apart. And uh, Signorelli was like the masculine, strong painter when he was a young teenager, I mean Michelangelo. Okay, so... And you can tell. Giovanni, so we got Signorelli, and if people haven't seen his work, it's the muscles just shine on the bodies. They're not as as heroic as Michelangelo, but there's a definite celebration of the human body. Signorelli from Cortona was 20 years before Michelangelo. You took, me, that. Yep. You took me to the fresco of the Morning of the Dead Christ, and we were talking about how ideas come like hammers through this painting. You can see the composition is inside the brain. You have this abstract floor, and on top you have a group of people, like a separate idea, with the body of Christ, like another fragment inside. And then you get the backward with, on the left, a crucifixion, on the right, a resurrection. If you read the painting, it means uh, this is before, this is after. And then you have a lake in the middle, that's the baptism, in the back of the blood of Jesus. And the, the blood of Jesus is there once it's done, and the blood is the sacrifice, is on top of the lake, because the lake is the baptism. From the death, through the blood, through the baptism, you go on the resurrection. It's like... Uh, it's like uh, reading a brain of a person. It's not just nice colors of shades. It's so clear, mechanic, and powerful. And Michelangelo loved this when he was little. So when we look at Signorelli, we can see the clear power of the ideas that inspired Michelangelo. Yeah. Oh, 
you can enjoy the colored muscles that inspired uh, Sal Buscema and Jack Kirby in the 70s to paint, uh, you yeah. know, uh, Captain America, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, I mean, the Marvel comics, believe me, they are just a copy of this because it's clear, strong, and fun. I'm sure it's for this. All right. If you don't trust me, you can check the comics. We'll check it out. Now, another thing very interesting to me, Giovanni, is the Super Tuscan wine. I'm a big fan of Brunello de Montalcino, and most of the tourists that come to Italy want to check out Brunello. But the new uh, wine on the scene for me is Super Tuscan. Can you explain to me what is Super Tuscan wine? Well, you know, I mean, it's just uh, another way to call high quality. But the, the word of the wine is a jungle. I mean, don't be confused. Just go in the place and try the wine because it's really high, high quality for a little price. So it's even Brunello is good. But even about the Brunello, you know, you have like uh, 60 farmers working on the Brunello. Then you got the Nobile with other 70 people. I mean, it's like a, it's a big, big messy. And yes, Super Tuscan, it's another kind of wine. But, you know, if you go in San Gimignano, even there, the wine is good. Fernaccia is mm-hmm. a great, beautiful white wine. In Cortona, we have beautiful wines now. I mean, and you drink in the right place, you know, with the frame. It's like, uh, how can I tell you. It's like if you ask me, oh, do you have a new kind of people? No, people are all over it, any kind. I mean, the different kinds. Is, uh, come here and <laughs> find your little bubble because we have hundreds of good wines. We've been talking with Giovanni Adriani one hour from Florence in the beautiful town of Cortona. Giovanni, thanks for your insight into your beautiful hill town, Cortona. Oh, thanks to you. And buon lavoro. Oh, buon lavoro even for you, by the way. You're bigger than mine. Ciao, Giovanni. Oh, the country's bigger. Va bene. Arrivederci, allora. Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 100 cities across the country. Listen to podcasts of past shows in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Rick's public television series, Rick Steves Europe, also airs throughout the USA. You'll find the latest on Rick's TV and radio work, as well as his guidebooks and his free-spirited European tour program at ricksteves.com.